There were stateless infants, stateless toddlers, uh, stateless teenagers, stateless parents and stateless grandparents uh, living in some of the most atrocious conditions I have ever seen, living literally on a rubbish dump. People need to realise it's, it's not just that you don't have a nationality, it, it stops you from being able to do so many everyday things. Hi, I'm Andy Clark, and this is the What's Best for Children's Nationality podcast from the Institute on Statelessness and Inclusion. In this edition, we talk to UNICEF and the UNHCR about their partnership in the fight against childhood statelessness. Why now, and how will the organisations work together? I talked to Kerry Neal from UNICEF and Radha Govil from the UNHCR. I first asked them to tell me a personal story related to childhood statelessness that always stays with them. You know, every time I've met a stateless person, I've, I've been very struck, actually, by, um, by their situation and how they manage to survive it, um, because it, uh, it can mean uh, an, an extreme form of deprivation. Uh, my name is Radha Govil. I work as a senior legal officer at UNHCR in its statelessness section. One example that I think uh, really sort of uh, the picture keeps reappearing in my mind when I work on these issues is when I met um, stateless Roma in the former Yugoslav Republic of Macedonia. I believe its change is, name is changing to Northern Macedonia. Um, but this was a couple of years ago, and uh, this was a community of uh, of Roma um, who were living on the outskirts of Skopje. Um, and what struck me when I went to meet them was the many generations that were stateless. There were stateless infants, stateless toddlers, uh, stateless teenagers, stateless parents and stateless grandparents uh, living in some of the most atrocious conditions I have ever seen, um, living literally on a rubbish dump. Um, and while there were excellent NGOs, excellent civil society actors and very concerned state representatives who were trying to help what struck me was that uh, not having a nationality over generations, experiencing that form of discrimination and exclusion over generations, was not something that was simply going to be resolved by giving someone a nationality. It was going to require a lot more than that because exclusion from nationality had meant exclusion from society in many, many ways, social ways, um, in political ways, in economic ways, and it had almost become a, a cyclical and very ingrained part of that community. And they saw themselves very much as a, a part and perhaps not even uh, as deserving. So one young stateless girl who I spoke to who had actually been fortunate to have now gotten a birth certificate, which was the first step in her, in her being able to establish her nationality. Uh, she was 14 and she now had the ability to go to school. And when I talked to her and I said, how is school going? And she said, you know, I do understand the importance of education, but I'm so embarrassed. I'm in a class with four-year-olds and I don't know if I can keep doing that. So it just showed that uh, people are still people and they have feelings and they have pride and they have dignity. And I think statelessness and statelessness amongst children really strips people of that dignity and it can be hard to get back. I'm Kerry Neal. I'm a child protection specialist from UNICEF in New York. 
I mean, I, I remember there was a story of uh, it was a boy in Georgia, um, and that partly resonated because I, I spent many years of my, my career in Georgia, but he was stateless. He was of Azari ethnic origin. Um, and it hadn't really been a problem for him until he came to be asked to participate in an international judo competition. And, of course, to travel internationally, he needed a passport. When he went to apply for the process of getting a passport, the fact that he was stateless prevented that. And it then revealed a range of other problems with furthering his education. But it it just struck me because when I was that age, I participated in sporting events internationally, and it was something I did without having to think about it. Um, it was just automatic. I... I got on the plane, went to wherever and competed. And so just that barrier to something that should be straightforward and, you know, is a very important part of life when you're a teenager participating in this kind of event with your friends. It just kind of crystallized for me the fact that not having the nationality, it just stops you from doing so much of what people like you and I would take for granted. We wouldn't even have to think about. And And I think that's what people need to realize it's it's not just that you don't have a nationality it it stops you from being able to do so many everyday things um, and it builds and builds and builds you you can't travel then you can't take this particular course which means you won't be able to pursue this particular profession etc cetera, etc cetera. so it it has a cumulative effect from from perhaps one small thing that triggers you finding out um, and then it just erects all these barriers to participation. And when it comes to tackling childhood statelessness, what's the approach of the UN bodies? Here's Radha again. So we're doing it um, really through our I Belong campaign to end statelessness, which is a campaign that we launched five years ago, um, very much with a view to trying to bring about momentum um, to show the international community that this is an issue that can be resolved, it is relatively easily resolved, and it can have a very positive impact. Um, The way in which the I Belong campaign works is through a global action plan, which is composed of 10 actions, which are meant to address the key causes of statelessness. And actually, three, if not five of those actions are actually specifically targeting the issue of childhood statelessness. So we're talking about... um, providing countries with support and understanding as to how they are to reform their nationality laws, to remove gender discrimination, to introduce safeguards, to ensure that children born on their territory are not left stateless, um, to improve birth registration rates. Um, And we're doing this in partnership with local partners in in all of these countries because that's the best way to um, achieve change. Um, And certainly through our dialogue with states, which we are finding is uh, slowly but surely having an impact. And UNICEF, what's the approach there? Well, we've linked often this work to an already successful body of work, which we have is on birth registration. Um, Because being registered immediately or very soon after birth is one of the measures you can take which can contribute to preventing statelessness. And so we've tried now to build on this work to ensure that, okay, the children get registered, but moving on from there, that they're also able to take steps to acquire a nationality. 
But we're also doing work to ensure that the children who are, for whatever reason, still without a nationality are able to access those other rights that I was talking about earlier, like education and, and health. And so making sure that if they are left for a while without a nationality, they're still not being deprived of these other fundamental rights, which, which they should be having access to. So what about the partnership? What does working together actually involve? Under the I Belong campaign, it's a long campaign, it's a 10-year campaign, and so to ensure that it remains uh, fresh and valid and um, uh, and can tackle the various causes of statelessness, what we began with was a two-year thematic focus on statelessness in children. And uh, as part of that, we, um, we did a lot of consultations with stateless children and their families, and we found that we were really able to heighten the awareness of the, of the problem. Um, before moving on to our next thematic focus, we decided that we really wanted to ensure that the momentum that had been built would be maintained and we thought that one good way to do this would be to continue work with the focus on childhood statelessness by joining hands with um, another sister UN agency that is mandated to work on all children's rights um, and that's UNICEF Um, and it also came at a time that I think UNICEF was Um, growing more interested in the issue of statelessness. Um, The Convention on the Rights of the Child uh, is uh, one that links these issues of the child's right to a name, a nationality and birth registration um, because these uh, elements are all linked and that's something that um, that uh, UNICEF works on but uh, the Convention on the Rights of the Child also talks about the need to ensure that a child is not left stateless and uh, I think that UNICEF was becoming more interested in this area of work um, and so we decided that we would look at how we could work better together and we decided to develop um, and form this coalition which is essentially about Firstly, UNICEF and UNHCR trying to work um, more closely and more effectively at um, at an operational level in countries to try and achieve change, but also to invite um, uh, NGO and civil society partners as well as, well as other UN agencies to be part of this effort. Um, so now, as a result, uh, two years on since this coalition has, has been formed, uh, UNICEF and UNHCR are working very closely together in 19 countries where we've developed joint strategies to specifically address issues, different issues of childhood statelessness Um, and we've seen some successes there as well we've really effectively worked together for example in the Central Asia region where we have five countries with joint strategies um, where I think that the coming together of these two um, fairly major UN agencies in the region has um, led to um, a very clear message being sent that there is a joint UN response and a seriousness to the approach by the UN, which I think has been taken very much on board by the authorities, um, which are now looking to really ramp up their efforts um, to register children who are born to undocumented parents, particularly those parents whose nationality was affected by the collapse of the former Soviet Union and who didn't end up with a nationality. Um, so really trying to stop that spread of... of um, intergenerational statelessness, but also in other countries. So uh, joint strategies, for example, in Chile and in Albania um, are really helping to raise awareness and in countries like Norway are helping to actually um, improve prospects for law reform when it comes to safeguards um, uh, uh, to ensure that no child is left stateless. And here's Kerry on UNICEF's view of the partnership. 
Um, well, I mean, the, the idea for us to work together came about because obviously with, with children, UNICEF is, is the mandated lead UN entity. Um, and on statelessness, UNHCR is the mandated lead within the, the, um, the UN system. But I think it was also a recognition on our part that if we could move statelessness from being seen purely as an issue of nationality um, and bring it as a child rights issue, that we would be able to bring a lot more actors to the table. Um, there's a whole child rights constituency out there that previously was, was not addressing this issue. We work with them in many, many countries. We can bring them with us and, and make them understand this as being an issue of, of child rights as opposed to just nationality rights. And I think the other advantage is that we generally both have different partners in national government that we work with. UNHCR will tend to be working with ministries concerned with, with immigration, interior, etc., whereas we have a whole range of relationships with ministries of education, ministries of health, ministries of social welfare. So we're very much able to bring comparative strengths together and bring a bit more of a whole-of-government approach to solving the issue when we're working together. And, and why is this happening now? Why are you coming together now? I think um, partly it's because UNICEF recognised, um, as I said, we, we have a long history of working on birth registration. Um, but I think in recent years, um, and in particular as a result of the large movement of people from Syria, we recognised that simply registering a child wasn't necessarily going to provide all of the protections that we thought and hoped it should provide. And that the next step on that was they needed to have a nationality. Um, and I say the, the Syria crisis brought this to a forefront because there was a large movement of people outside of Syria who, for whatever reason, were not able to transmit their nationality to their children. And it became very obvious in, in places like Lebanon, Jordan, etc., that additional problems were arising purely through the lack of a nationality and not simply through lack of birth registration. One challenge the new partners face in tackling childhood statelessness is a lack of good data. Just how big is the problem? So that's very difficult to say. Um, statelessness statistics are very hard to come by and that's for a couple of key reasons. Um, firstly, stateless states are not actually counting the number of stateless people systematically, um, and stateless people themselves often are wary of coming forward to be counted. Um, UNH has just published its Global Trends Report, an annual report which counts 3.9 million stateless people. We know that this is a serious underestimate. Um, but even within that number, we don't have good disaggregation by gender or by age. So very difficult to say how many stateless children there are around the world. But we certainly know the causes of statelessness. And because we know the causes of statelessness and we can identify where those causes exist, we can be sure that a very significant number of the 3.9 million and certainly the real number would be composed of children. Sometimes you hear a figure of 10 million, is that...? Yes. So uh, for quite some time, UNHCR used to have an estimated 10 million stateless people um, that we used to talk about. Um, but it was very difficult to actually concretize or justify the uh, gap between the 3.9 or 3.7 million that we've reported for the last few years in terms of actual known stateless people and the actual total estimated number. 
it's very likely that it's many, many millions more than the 3.9 million that we know of. Um, but I think it's just difficult to say 10 million. It could actually be more, it could be a little bit less, but certainly many millions more than the 3.9 million. Kerry Neal from UNICEF also points to the lack of good data as being a big challenge. But what are some of the other challenges? I think primarily one that's familiar to a lot of people who work in the field, which is that the ultimate solution is often going to be a political solution. Um, and the groups that have been excluded from nationality have, have been excluded because of prejudice and, and discrimination. Um, and so we can do what we can with technical assistance, with, with financial assistance, but the ultimate solution is going to be a political one. UNICEF is one voice in those countries that can bring pressure to bear on, on the government, um, but we do need other people to come in and, and join that. And there are other issues too. There can be a reluctance on the part of the government to address issues of statelessness for fear of um, provoking the populist element because it's saying, oh my God, you're opening the doors to suddenly huge numbers of people becoming citizens, which is, is not necessarily the case. Um, but then I also think there's a, a lack of awareness about the situation. In many cases, it's a simple fix to a nationality law. Um, it wouldn't actually be that difficult, but it, it's just not a well-known problem. And so that's part of the work that, that us and UNHCR and ISI have to carry on doing, is making more and more people aware that, that this is a problem and it does have real consequences for, for a lot of people. Um, so awareness is, is, I think, a big part of the problem. A better understanding of the true impact of statelessness on people and what's being lost to society as a whole is also crucial, says Radha. You have to, uh, when people have to ask for everything, uh, almost beg for everything, not because they don't have the wherewithal, but because this very sort of technical <laughs> legal status is missing, uh, it it can really affect a person, I think, psychologically um, and uh, and really strip away what it means very simply to be human and to flourish. Um, I don't think we should be looking at minimum standards. I think we should all be looking at what we're all maximally capable of. And I think nationality is one small way, but a very important way in, in a step in that direction of ensuring that people can flourish as humans. So are we seeing progress? Are the goals being met? And how will the UNICEF-UNHCR partnership impact this? Um, we regard the partnership as existing within the frame of, of UNHCR's overall 10-year campaign, which ambitiously hopes to end statelessness within 10 years, so by 2024. Um, as I said earlier, because of the data challenges, it's, it's perhaps a little bit difficult for us to talk about a specific reduction in the number of um, children. I think one goal we are looking at is to reduce the number of countries, for example, which have inequal uh, gender inequality built into their nationality laws. So where a mother can't transmit nationality. That's started at 27 at the beginning of the coalition because of our and other partners work. That's now down to 25. If we could try and get that down to about 20 at least in the next few years, that would be, I think, enormous progress. Um, and for us to simply increase the number of countries where our operations are 
jointly working on this issue and bringing both sets of partners to the table. That's something we, I don't even want to put a limit to. The more countries we can get working on this, the better. And I think in concrete terms, we are seeing change. I think that what has to happen is that rate of change needs to accelerate massively, because it can. It, it requires political will. Um, the other things that it requires in terms of resourcing are not that difficult. Um, but I do think that, uh, that if we can keep going on the track that we are, but try and move it a lot faster, we will see much more significant change, and hopefully in the next five years. That's Radha Govil there from the UNHCR. We also heard from Kerry Neal from UNICEF. If you want to learn more about childhood statelessness and how you can help eradicate it, please visit our website, instituteSI.org. Institutesi.org. You can find there a variety of resources on the issue, including a technical guide on childhood statelessness and the child's right to a nationality. This unpacks the challenges in more detail and provides information on relevant international standards and good practices. And please help us spread the word about the What Works Best for Children's Nationality podcast. You can do it on social media using our hashtags, hashtag nationality for children, or the hashtag for inclusive societies. That's hashtag nationality for children or hashtag for inclusive societies. And don't forget to include our Twitter handle, which is at institute underscore SI. That's at institute underscore SI. And from me, Andy Clark, thank you very much for listening.